Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Today, we're more distributed and more digitally connected than ever before. Digital communications are now the lifeblood of the enterprise. With Smarsh, you can leverage all of your communications as a strategic asset. Smarsh enables companies to transform oversight into foresight by surfacing business-critical signals in more than 80 digital communications channels, from email to WhatsApp to Zoom and many more. Regulated organizations of all sizes rely upon the Smarsh portfolio of cloud-native, AI-enabled digital communications capture, retention, and oversight solutions to help them identify regulatory and reputational risk within their communications data before those risks become fines or headlines. Smarsh serves a global client base spanning the top banks in North America, Europe, and Asia, along with other leading financial firms and various government agencies. To discover more about the future of communications capture, archiving, and oversight, visit www.smarsh.com. What we're seeing now is career compliance officers, and that has benefits and disadvantages. And I know that some senior compliance officers will say, well, do they know what they're really looking for? Today's guest outlines where in the financial services sector compliance professionals will be able to find new jobs and salary increases in the coming months, and where we can expect a slowdown in recruitment. He details the common mistakes finance bosses make when hiring and promoting back office expertise and explains how to avoid them. Andy outlines why and how financial services execs must act now to help close the gender pay gap in compliance. Jonathan Skerritt is the founder and director at Rutherford, a recruitment firm that specialises in placing compliance officers in roles within the financial services sector. Hi Jonathan, welcome to Following the Rules. Hi Lucy, good to be here, thank you for having me. So a good place to start would be with Rutherford. For those listeners that aren't familiar with the company, could you tell us a little bit about it? What roles and seniority do you typically recruit for, for example? Rutherford is a governance recruitment firm. We specialise in both permanent and interim recruitment across the compliance, legal, risk and cybersecurity roles in the London and New York financial services markets. For experienced hires from mid-level through to MD, That might translate loosely to five years upwards or your your banking, ABP, VP, right the way through to C-suite and the global head. And our clients include the full range of financial services firms. Okay, and we're speaking not long after economists have warned that the UK has fallen into a recession, which they predict will be the longest since records began in the 1950s. What's the job market like in this environment? Well, we certainly have seen a softening of the market recently. I think a lot of us in the resourcing sector were surprised uh, at quite how sustained the post-pandemic recessionary bounce was, and that the demand for talent continued so deep into 2022. But those underlying economic headwinds created by Brexit, the reduced fiscal stimulus, they were still there. And now you add the less expected shocks of the war in Ukraine the energy crisis, inflation, cost of living, the tech sell-off more recently, the mini-budget chaos, etc. And all these combine to create a much more 
mixed picture. Compliance recruitment activity as a whole has been up 12% on last year for us as a firm. And last year was a busy year. We were looking at some statistics this morning, and there's somewhere between 10 to 15,000 regulatory professionals in the London area, with the bulk of those being in financial services. And circa 2,200 changed roles this year. So that's quite a significant number. But there have been noticeable areas of weakening recruitment confidence, specifically, for example, M&A, investment banking and private equity have been quieter, as well as big institutional asset management, more latterly crypto. These have become more pronounced in this second half of the year. Now, there is a seasonality to compliance resourcing, but it's not as much as you might think for various reasons. Compliance officers aren't usually compensated in the same way as front office. They sometimes have higher basics and lower bonuses, meaning they're less tied to the start of the year reward. Having a compliance officer is also often externally mandated. So despite what the market is doing, if you need a compliance officer, you may have to appoint one regardless of the time of year. So Whilst we did see higher volumes of recruitment activity in Q1 and Q2, we would have expected to see a level of consistency towards the end of the year. What we are seeing is a more subtle picture emerging with areas of strong regulatory recruitment activity and other areas that are more muted. So what types of firms are hiring and for what roles? Sales and trading has seen some significant levels of compliance recruitment this year. Compliance officers with trading floor advisory compliance knowledge, providing that real-time regulatory advice to the business have always been in demand. And that trend continues. Product knowledge in equities or FIC has now been joined by digital assets as the most requested skill set, with US banks really majoring on that. Electronic algorithmic trading knowledge has probably become less specifically sought in contrast to previous years, which I think is just a signal of how widespread that skill is now on the market side. The dedicated brokers, the prop traders, the high frequency traders have been enjoying that volatility and they've used that as an opportunity to strengthen their compliance departments. The increase in trading volumes have also led to an increased demand for individuals with trade surveillance knowledge. These roles at boutiques have proven very attractive to those with banking backgrounds, particularly those with trade surveillance, not only because they can generally offer improved compensation, but also breadth of role, moving out of a very siloed banking role and getting that increased exposure to the business. And you have to say that this sell-side demand for compliance officers looks likely to continue to a degree, at least into Q1 2023. Hedge funds have grown their compliance teams, and that increasingly also includes market specialists with trade surveillance knowledge. So we're starting to see hedge funds look for a level of specialization in their compliance officers, where typically they would have just pulled generalists from trading floor advisory backgrounds from banks. And now these roles have a strong draw for banking professionals. But I think hedge funds are an interesting one. Hedge fund indexes for the year are negative, but we saw continued high levels of recruitment this year, per last year, really, from them. And I think the drivers for that are the multi-strategy and macro funds that have made really significant gains. 
Traditionally, they've had very lean compliance teams, but the largest multi-strat and global macro funds have been really adding depth to those teams. So we're starting to see that specialization, which is a new thing, not to the same level as banks, but also now not unlike larger institutional asset managers. When hedge funds look outside of their own sector, they'll generally focus on experienced candidates from banking advisory and surveillance backgrounds at the moment is particularly attractive for them. On the buy side, more generally, for asset managers, the huge sell-off in global markets, the reduced quantitative easing and the outflows have certainly impacted recruitment. It is well down this year for large buy-side firms, there will be an ability to move some more straightforward regulatory work to hub locations, low-cost locations. But that Brexit-related relocation of resources to various management companies on the continent has obviously subsided now. Limited recruitment continues, though, for the asset managers, and certain skill sets remain strongly attractive to them, particularly the retail fund managers. So skills such as marketing and distribution expertise, this looks very likely to continue next year. FCA is bringing in new rules regarding financial promotions of high-risk products. So we'd expect to see that being an area of high demand for compliance officers next year. Financial crime professionals will continue to be in demand, particularly in digital assets and payments. Firms are also getting increasingly comfortable with IR35, the legislation surrounding the relationship between employers and a contractor or consultant, and have made those adaptions to it. So the lack of certainty in the market right now might see an increase in demand for contractors and consultants going into the new year. So have salaries increased or decreased in recent months? Salaries increased in 2021, but not for everyone, not evenly. The candidate shortages got worse over the course of 2022, and that did keep pressure on the upward trend for compensation. We certainly saw between January 2021, and to an extent we are still seeing, some candidates achieve very large uplifts on basic salaries. We've seen 30 to 50% uplifts in certain circumstances. But in the main, we saw compensation levels increased by around 8% last year, and that was built on with a further 4% this year. What was notable was that this wasn't for job movers only. Job changes have been achieving significant improvements, but also incumbents were seeing solid gains, partly as firms responded to the cost of living crisis, but also in a recognition that the, the battle to retain the best staff was so acute in this market. Compensation expectations are certainly still high, The largest uplifts in percentage terms were probably for more junior candidates, but the most intensely fought talent war was really for that mid-range compliance officer. By that, I mean four years through to eight would be the most sought-after regulatory professional. This year, we've seen a strong appetite for mid-level compliance officers, whether it's generalists, monitoring specialists, advisory, policy, reg affairs, etc. There's been a shortage across buy side and sell side, the retail side of the market and financial technology too. Why is that? Well, we think it's because the overall regulatory burden falling on firms has increased at a faster rate than the number of firms has increased. So 
what you've seen is compliance departments have got bigger in response to, to being so stretched, but the number of oversight roles hasn't changed as fast. So you can see this pattern most apparently in digital startups. The first hires would typically include the CCO, the chief compliance officer. Then as the organization and the sector matures, regulatory scrutiny increases and the department grows underneath the CCO, meaning they need mid-ranged experience hires. There are new firms entering the market all the time. And with a lot of new entrants to the market, the cost of hiring an individual with experience who's held control functions previously can be very expensive. So there's this appetite in the market to pull up six to eight year, even five year compliance officers into oversight roles, which further thins out that mid-level candidate pool. So what you end up with is this two-tier market, and it's easier to recruit at the more junior end and the more senior end at the moment than in the middle. But overall, the salary growth rate slowed in the second half of 2022. It did continue, but like I say, slowed. The tech layoffs took a little heat out of that. But those layoffs and the impact those are having on compensation are only really just filtering through to the big picture we're seeing crypto-specific salaries start to be impacted, but we haven't really seen this disturbed salaries in other areas like, for example, wholesale financial services or retail banking or payment services yet. Bonuses have been pretty varied sector by sector with the differing performance levels, but we've seen the same increases in percentage terms that I just mentioned, with top performers seeing even larger bonus increases to, to retain them. That's really interesting. And there's a huge amount to unpick there. You mentioned that you had seen a two-tier market develop in the mid-range compliance officer space. How do you advise firms on managing that when you see it happening? There are risks associated with pulling mid-level candidates up too early and giving them control functions. And that is about whether they are ready for it. And there can be a temptation to see bringing a junior candidate or a mid-level candidate up into a CCO role can be a way to make an economy, but obviously that's potentially a false economy. So that is a risk that comes with that, that pulling candidates up too early. The two-tier market creates that pinch point for mid-level compliance officers. And some clients will have to look at whether they are either willing to look at the candidates who are in the mid-level space and seriously consider their compensation requirements or think about whether they're willing to be flexible about the kind of candidate they bring into their role. Could they train up a junior candidate? Could they invest that time and money? So being flexible about how they recruit and what they look for. Can they think outside of the box? Can they look at someone with a slightly different product knowledge? Could they make the role part-time? That is an important discussion to be had about where clients are willing to compromise them. Okay, interesting. So just to go back to the salary uplift that you mentioned, you mentioned that in certain circumstances, you have seen a 30 to 50% uplift. Are you able to specify what roles are seeing that and what types of firms they're working in? And you've mentioned that you've seen a compensation level generally increase to around 8%. Again, what types of companies are you seeing that increase happening within? Well, this year, as a result of the candidate shortages, all firms have been offering uplifts, really, both for incumbents and job movers. The largest increases have typically gone to those who change jobs 
the biggest uplifts we've seen this year have often, but not always, been trading-related roles. So those firms that have benefited from financial market volatility, and it hasn't been universal to all hedge funds, but certainly some hedge funds, prop traders and HFTs have been paying outsized increases on compensation. Also, if you take a candidate who didn't move in 2021 and rode out the pandemic at their current employer, they would by mid-2022 start to look considerably underpaid because their, their compensation hasn't kept pace with the market increases. So where you get candidates who haven't moved for a period of time, they're sometimes able to leverage that to get strong increases where a new employer will make good their market rate and bring them up to a level of compensation more in line with the market. And we've seen those mid-level compliance officers make the strongest gains. On the buy side, excluding alternatives, uplifts have been more modest, but still around that 15% range, because despite the market, there are still shortages of candidates out there. Private funds, those skill sets can be quite hard to come by too. So typical increases could be upwards of 15 to 25%. Digital and crypto have been highly variable offers really for the last couple of years. They differ a lot. Overall, they've got better, but an offer from Coinbase is going to differ dramatically from a pre-revenue firm. They may also have quite complicated, non-guaranteed compensation arrangements. That said, we've certainly seen uplifts ranging all the way from 10 to 30%. They've subdued a little recently, and there is more tech talent coming onto the market now. So the big picture is one of uplifts. But within that, there's certainly been pockets of the market that have had stronger uplifts than others. That's a really interesting summary of the market activity. And just looking ahead, to what extent do you expect hiring activity to continue? Well, on the sell side and firms that are benefit from volatility, I think we'll see those firms continue to recruit. It's very hard to look ahead and make hard and fast predictions about the overall market. But the firms that probably will be doing less hiring next year will be the big banks, certainly in the beginning of next year, and more specifically for the big banks in relation to their M&A size. We've seen global M&A plunging again in the third quarter this year. Uh, compliance recruitment has been pretty modest, and then moving towards that decreased replacement of attrition. Big bank compliance teams often naturally become quite top heavy over time. So this can be a way for banks to bring back some balance. But if you're a deal maker, the US investment bank, this may manifest itself by your regulatory question being answered by a VP in January, where it was a director in December. So this juniorization they talk about, compliance will be relatively insulated from some of these effects. We aren't talking about large-scale cuts at the moment, but certainly some rationalizing and recruitment caution. The private funds, the private equity, private credit, infrastructure funds, etc., have been a lot quieter in a resource and context versus last year. Traditionally, they've had an appetite for advisory compliance officers from the investment banks. With small teams, they've had to recruit this year, but mainly for attrition. That will most likely continue. On the retail side, there was major recruitment earlier this year from some of the main brands, but there's very much been two parts to the year. Now we have the high profile redundancies in tech, the Metas, the Amazons, and these have extended to the UK fintech scene to a degree. Redundancies have been a feature of Q4 across many of the crypto players. Compliance has not been totally immune to that. 
We have seen redundancies there, but relatively few. Whether this is a function of the role's natural resilience or an awareness of the impending new regulation that has saved them, both might be right to a degree. In the medium term, it adds significant momentum to the argument that these firms need to bring in more experts from the highly regulated banks to improve their governance characteristics. Against that, some digital infrastructure firms and a number of the more established payment services firms have also been continuing to recruit and plan to recruit next year. Okay. And on the salary uplift, you mentioned that was in part firms responding to the cost of living crisis. I wondered to what extent you expect those uplifts to continue into 2023. There are more roles. The candidate pool was really drained out in 2021 and wasn't actually very deep pre-pandemic with the push for moving resources to the continent. So it is a war for the best talent. Most candidates are still receiving multiple offers. Firms have also had to respond to the cost of living crisis as many of their profits have increased with the recovery. It's extremely difficult to predict what next year will look like. Q1 will set the tone. We'll have a very good idea by February. There are conversations happening now about budgets and hiring needs for 2023. It's also natural to some extent to see some market slow down end of year. But the underlying labour market conditions remain in a compliance context. The rate of increases perhaps don't look as sustainable, but rowing back on these gains will be very hard for the market. They look baked in now. Right now, it is still a candidate-led market for most sectors, and we have a pipeline of regulation coming in as the UK decides how it wants its rules to look. That is going to create complexity, and you never know. But to me, there is a confidence that compliance recruitment levels will be at least relatively resilient during the recession, even in crypto to an extent. I know Jamie Dimon calls it a sideshow, but if FTX was crypto's Lehman's moment, crypto's big correction, their dot-com bubble moment, then like Lehman's, we're going to see a renewed appetite for good compliance officers, in this case with strong digital asset knowledge. The firms that come out of the other side will either be the better ones, the ones that have already embraced good governance, or who've hopefully learned their lesson from FTX. And the FCA's increasing regulatory scope in the space will mean increased hiring is likely to follow as well. The wider fintech and payments sector, they've been consistently strong, really, and caught up in compensation terms over recent years, still perhaps lagging behind banking a little bit, probably 15 to 20% uplift range we've seen this year. We think that will be relatively resilient next year. But overall, I'd say it is quite hard to be certain. Okay, interesting. I would like to delve into further detail on what you're seeing in the crypto space. But before we go there, you mentioned a juniorization of compliance roles within investment banks. Is there a risk of brain drain in certain firms? What the big banks do extremely well is training, and they have very capable middle management compliance teams. They nurture talent extremely well at that junior level. Your typical graduate compliance program will rotate that compliance officer through various departments. So they come out of that process very well rounded. The point about whether or not they will have this brain drain, you could turn it on its head, I think, where compliance officers rise to a more senior level departmentally. This process can be an opportunity for mid-level compliance officers to step up and get exposure. And the market will thank them for it because 
MDs and compliance directors who leave banks and come to the market are obviously very attractive to other firms. So it can be a healthy process, but there are risks that you allude to. And in particular, a perennial complaint we hear from seasoned compliance officers is that precisely because junior compliance officers are coming through the ranks and they've always been in compliance. They started out in a graduate compliance program. They're very well trained, but perhaps they haven't had that life experience. The old guard had that ability to know what they're looking for, having worked in different areas. The typical compliance officer used to be drawn from a variety of backgrounds from the bank, whether it was middle office, whether it was operational, whether it was trading, and they could draw on that expertise and bring it to their compliance role. What we're seeing now is career compliance officers, and that has benefits and disadvantages. And I know that some senior compliance officers will say, well, do they know what they're really looking for? And how should firms respond to that? They have to be particularly careful in terms of how they bring through junior talent into more senior roles, particularly in the current hybrid working environment, because that that organic process of professional development and learning by osmosis by being around people that you don't necessarily get at home means that the learning curve for junior compliance officers is not as sharp as it was in some respects. And that is something that firms will have to respond to in a training context, looking at how they're training these individuals, getting them to build relationships with these seasoned compliance officers, because they've got a lot of accrued professional wisdom and knowledge built up over the years. And they need to tap into that knowledge by having that flow of communication and that that relationship with those senior compliance officers. Okay, that's really interesting. And you mentioned crypto a number of times. And as you say, we have seen some high profile collapses in the crypto space in recent months, most recently FTX, the former crypto exchange, and that's shaking confidence after an already rocky period in the sector. So you've mentioned that you would expect hiring to continue in that space in the coming months. What tips do you have for compliance execs looking to make that jump to crypto? Do you see compliance professionals struggling when they make that move? And what skills do they need to thrive in that environment in your view? Well, I mentioned this possible correction that we're seeing in in the Lehman's for crypto analogy. Another interesting analogy for me is hedge funds. I remember a decade ago, headhunting compliance officers for hedge funds, and you'd call a compliance candidate at a bank, and there'd be a lot of sucking of teeth, a lot of caution about making that move. It wasn't every compliance officer's first choice. The risks a lot of firms were launching and closing. You had to be really excited by it to transition. Five years later, hedge funds are looking much more established. They take their regulatory obligations much more seriously. They're a really attractive proposition. Perhaps crypto or digital will be top of candidates' wish lists in 2025. We've seen some really excellent people let go in the crypto space in recent weeks, but not in very large numbers. We'll see how that pans out next year, but given the impending increased regulatory scrutiny, if anything, a lot of digital asset firms still look light in a compliance context. But the regulators are hiring as well. And in October, the FCA put about 15 adverts out for crypto expertise. 
junior and senior roles, policy specialists, data analysts, and we're seeing some firms responding to that. And certainly, interestingly, this year, some major US banks have recruited crypto expertise to their wholesale markets floors into advisory compliance roles. That process was underway last year, but continued. But compliance executives can struggle moving to crypto. I think some may have been slightly naive transitioning from a high infrastructure environment like a bank, where they're used to heavy investment in controls, moving to a leaner, move fast and break things culture. But largely, though, compliance officers have relished the challenge of these fast moving environments. But the skills they need to thrive in these environments are the same reasons that some struggle. And it's sometimes that failure to do due diligence around values alignment, which sounds a bit woolly, but actually these days, most CEOs are very aware of what a prospective chief compliance officer wants to hear at interview stage. They know they will have to communicate a certain level of management buy-in to cultural change. So the candidate really has to be prepared to, to pursue a specific and detailed line of questioning and really examine those commitment levels, really push back. After that, particularly compliance execs from larger organizations, they really need to show many of the skills common to shift to a smaller business, not least rolling your sleeves up, willing to change a light bulb if necessary, demonstrate that commerciality, the entrepreneurialism, to be open to new ways of doing things. Also to be a natural relationship builder. I guess one could say that of any compliance officer, but in this context, it's recognizing that Talking to the different stakeholders involved in crypto firms is not the same way one might communicate with a trader in a bank. The ability to talk to technologists, to face off to developers, to engineers, and it comes back to having that authentic interest in the space. And I would say that that is probably the most important thing. But look, it's difficult. It's always going to be a challenge. They're trying to move fast and break things. It's trying to move fast and break things within the rules. So culturally, it's a really fine balancing act because it is so fine. Firms are going to fall either side of that. Okay, there's plenty of opportunity by the sounds of things there. And as we've discussed, we're in a tough economy. What tips do you have for potential candidates looking to shift roles in that environment? It's obviously quite a nerve wracking context in which to be looking to move roles. Yeah, when compliance officers shift roles, I would always suggest that it's important to be pragmatic about what kind of shift the individual is looking to make. I'll give you some examples. If a compliance officer wants to go from wealth management to investment management, that might be more achievable than going from wealth management to alternatives because it's about how far removed they are in terms of asset class. At a wealth manager, you might get some exposure to some investment products that you can leverage to transition to an investment manager. Then perhaps you'd get some more wholesale investment management experience that you can leverage to move to a hedge fund. It's easier to go from retail banking to commercial banking than from retail banking to investment banking. So the point I'm trying to make there is that if there's an end goal, it's helpful for you to have a stepping stone move if it's once removed. If it's not adjacent to your sector, or you can leverage some of the knowledge you have in your current sector. You might want to focus on making a stepping stone move that gets you closer to where you want to be. Skills-wise, we've talked about crypto so much. Let's take that as an example, because I actually think there's an opportunity here if the market is resetting. These same rules apply to any other area. You have to demonstrate that genuine interest in crypto. You need to get exposure to digital assets. You need to spend a year or two studying it. It's self-directed study. You have to invest in training courses. 
candidates will often ask about which training courses to do and which not to do. We're slightly wary about the training courses that involve a really significant time commitment and cost commitment. I think there are other ways of giving your CV that credibility. You can start courses, markets pending, put it on the CV, but you might want to think particularly about the regulatory courses that are modular so you can do them piecemeal as you go. But that interest has to be genuine. Are there any programs in your current employer that they have that you can get exposure to? Personal exposure is the minimum, if not professional. So good to go for the conferences, the good conferences. You have to be credible. So do your research, build your, your market knowledge. It's difficult, though, and you have to have sympathy with the individuals who've been made redundant at this time of year. The hardest hit will be the junior crypto compliance officers. They might not have that legacy product knowledge to fall back on as they come back into the candidate pool. So it might be a bit tighter for them in the short term. But as I say, there's cause for medium term optimism. For those who don't have that digital asset knowledge, there's an opportunity here to really get up to speed on that and leverage that when the market improves. Overall, those same messages apply to transitioning in terms of your technical area. So moving from monitoring to advisory, as an example, or equities to fixed income, et cetera. Those same messages apply. It might be easier to transition from areas that have technical relevance to each other. And that's my point about being pragmatic and looking at adjacent stepping stone options that get you nearer to where you want to be it can be a more effective use of your time. There's also a point about route to market. You have to leverage your, your personal network, but also your network within the business you're working in. Leverage those opportunities within your current employer. You should absolutely register your CV with the good agencies, but there's also having an understanding about what the recruitment firms do and your route to market, because ultimately recruitment firms are paid to find a more off-the-shelf solution, someone to typically hit the ground running. That is what the, the premium is for, or part of what the premium is for. But there's also a place increasingly for direct applications here when you're looking to make that shift. So applications to directly advertise positions. So by that, I mean the ones that are self-branded by the employer, because in that route to market without the agency intermediary, there's sometimes more of a willingness on the part of the employer to consider more carefully or be a bit more entrepreneurial about it. Okay, so have Brexit and the pandemic had any long-lasting impact on the recruitment space? And if so, what is that? You have mentioned that Brexit has obviously forced firms to shift certain resources to the continent, and that has weakened the candidate pool as a result. Can you elaborate on how else Brexit has had an impact and to what extent the pandemic has had an impact too? Brexit has exacerbated the labour shortages in the short term with the relocation of those resources. But in the long term, the repeal of the EU legislation the creation of our own rules is going to have a very long impact in resourcing terms. Compliance officers who can interpret regulation and implement regulation are going to be required, as will compliance officers with cross-jurisdictional regulatory knowledge. And those who understand what is going to be an increasingly complicated distribution environment. That continues to create a candidate-driven market where counter-offers are more prevalent, uplifts are more achievable, the talent shortage is unlikely to go away long term, so create upward salary pressure. 
The pandemic gave us some other things, more hybrid working, and that has had probably three big significant impacts on the recruitment market. First is that compliance officers have had to look really closely at how they're engendering the right behaviours remotely, um, as well as how they're doing their surveillance. So they're now going to be asked to respond much more rapidly to changing technology. Communication technology is an example, like WhatsApp or Telegram or the next thing. So surveillance experts are going to be really important over the coming years. The second was reduced recruitment process times. Until recently, firms have been willing to hire remotely and recruitment processes that could have taken two months and possibly included quite careful diary management or booking leave now can be concluded in a couple of weeks. The market still likes a final round face-to-face interview. That's certainly come back, but those changes are here for the foreseeable future because the market sees the value of expedited recruitment processes. The third impact is the candidate expectations around WFH arrangements and the differing approaches. The direction of travel is gently towards being more present than we were last year. Some compliance officers where they were on two days in the office are being gently pushed towards three, or there were three days and they're being pushed towards four. And the number of firms that are moving back to five days is increasing, albeit remain in the minority. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. And what mistakes do firms make in the hiring process? I'm sure you've got a list of pet peeves that you've gathered over your time in the market. So what are they? Yeah, I made a list and I have to stop myself. But there's a few things that really make a difference. And top of that list is the speed, the urgency with which the recruitment process is run in all respects, from an administrative respect, from a scheduling respect, in terms of decision making, all the way through to onboarding, contract generation, background checks, start dates. These to be prioritized internally. And that's a reflection of the candidate-driven market that we're in, those practices all reduce the risk of candidates having competing processes. Most candidates will have multiple processes on at the same time. What you want to do is reduce the risk of candidates having multiple offers at the same time, because if your preferred candidate has your offer and it is not looking like the other offer is imminent, it can be a burden-to-hand decision which obviously increases the chances you, as the client, would get the individual you want, reduces the chance of counteroffers because counteroffers require various internal processes. They can take time. And if momentum is kept up, it can be difficult for the firm that is losing an employee to respond in time. And obviously, counteroffers are much more prevalent than they were because the cost of replacing staff is so much higher and it's so difficult. And from a candidate perspective too, Candidate buy-in, they want to see that the process is run expeditiously. They want to see that they're wanted. Loss of momentum can cause candidates to have cold feet because candidates are looking at how you run your recruitment process and inferring what your culture is like from that. Beyond that, regular communication, transparency, a level of frankness, re-expectations from the start can save some time clear parameters around particulars like compensation and the variable component of compensation can catch people out. 
And also with the increase in prevalence of internal recruitment that agency often works with, a high level of collaboration and communication between line hiring managers, internal recruitment and agency is really important these days. And all of those things reduce the risk of mismanaging expectations. And also not having a clear understanding of the job requirements and responsibilities. This sometimes is something that afflicts the the smaller firms because the roles are so varied and there is an element of entrepreneurialism about how they can approach their recruitment. But there's a risk that it can lead to attracting the wrong candidates or setting unrealistic expectations. And uh, feedback is something that clients are not always the best at providing. Often they don't want to provide feedback because they don't want to steer the witness particularly in a candidate short market, you're often reluctant to put candidates out of process as it goes forward because the candidate pool is so shallow. So you don't want to close off avenues and therefore you're going to be reluctant to give definitive feedback mid-process. And obviously the difficulty of that is a period of time can elapse before candidates are given feedback. So a level of transparency with the candidates, the framework is being built, a holding message for want of a better description, some level of communication to relate to candidates, some feedback is better than nothing. Those would be my key points. Okay, interesting. And lastly, what's one upcoming or current challenge that no one's talking about that you think the industry needs to pay more attention to? As technology meets compliance, we need to keep looking at gender pay gaps. We need to keep that pressure up to close that ground. And there is a danger that as technology and compliance increasingly meet, we lose ground that we've made up. What do you think firms should do to ensure they don't lose ground? Well, technology has a bit of a problem here. In the UK, the latest UCAS statistics show that the percentage of female students studying engineering and technology was just 19% of all students. And if you look at STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and maths, only 25% of computer jobs, 15% of engineering jobs are occupied by women. And then if you look at law as a traditional route into the regulatory space. And UCAS says that last year, two thirds of all law applicants were women. So perhaps you could say that this is less of a worry because you don't need to code to be a compliance officer. But I think it is a worry because it's more about culture. We've talked a lot today about digital assets. There are some excellent firms in the space, but Some have yet to move away from that crypto bros culture. So this is important. The main thing for me would be to focus on that homegrown talent and making sure that there are equal opportunities from the get-go, that there are programs internally to encourage younger women to get into these spaces. Then making sure that the knowledge that senior compliance officers have filters down to them, proactively transmitting that technical knowledge, setting aside the time to do it. That's even more important now with hybrid working. I also think safe spaces internally to connect with more senior women from the same profession and discuss the mutual challenges. So committees, clubs, peer networks that are women-led. Internal role models are important. And representation across all seniority levels can be so motivating. Making sure childcare policies are well-suited, perhaps incentives to come back, flexibility around the working day and hybrid working, flexibility around the variable compensation and how bonuses are awarded and pay rise considerations pre and post mat leave. Shared parental leave comes up a lot. That's a big one that could make a a significant difference. And then just if 
finally, recruiters have a big role to play here too, in terms of ensuring that reduced unconscious bias in screening and qualifying and gender balanced candidate shortlists, benchmarking candidates fairly, etc. It's obviously an important part of the ESG agenda as well. It's important to a lot of the firms that we work with. So I think a lot of work here to do for everyone. Okay, well, that's been a really informative conversation, Jonathan. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Lucy. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.